are the confessions of American Christians recovering from American Christianity. This is The World We Made. Nathan Alverson, your humble and obedient host, joined by our good friend, Pastor Jacob Menzel. This is part five in our series on fatherhood. Uh, last week, we talked a lot about discipline, specifically the S word, spanking, everything you always wanted to know, but were afraid to ask. And Tim's main advice was just do it. Right. After that, our discussion on the topic of discipline continued and, well, just listen. If you're a father and you want the approval of your wife and the discipline of your children, you're dead in the water and I have nothing to say to you. And I know that will vary from wife to wife, from mother to mother, but I have about as tough a wife as you can have and I often had her disapproval in my discipline and not just the corporal punishment, but even more the discipline of high school daughters. And she, in fact, didn't approve of her father's discipline of her when he told her to go back up to her room and put something decent on her when she was in high school. I know that, actually. Dead in the water, huh? That felt pretty bodacious, I have to say. Well, Tim went on to explain further. It's so obvious when we get a glimpse into the homes of the patriarchs that you just never have perfect unity between, between a man and his wife in any area, even down to whether you keep the cap on the toothpaste or not, or what kind of toothpaste you have, you know. It's a work, and how we give advice and wisdom and counsel to people about raising children and disciplining and loving them without explicitly addressing what I want to say is without addressing the conflict. Mm -hmm. I, I use the word conflict because if people are willing to address the conflict, then they'll be able to address the fear. In other words, it's not just conflict, it's calibration. Yeah, and, and, absolutely. But that calibration is very hard work. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a very unusual situation where a father is firm in the discipline of his children, that the mother doesn't judge him harshly. I really do. And I, I think I have one of the best wives a man has ever had. Do, do you understand? Yeah. I mean, you know yeah, no, yeah. I'm telling you, there were so many times where I had to just put out of my mind her approval and disapproval. The thing that makes me so sad for men today, specifically men, and really for women, for fathers and mothers, the thing that makes me so sad about fathers today is that no man today has any confidence in his leadership. First of all, he doesn't have confidence that he really ought to have leadership. Right. And then if he ever raises his head out of the gopher's hole, you know, enough to actually do something, the world is nothing but doubters. And then you bring it into the home and you have the doubter be the woman that you love. It just makes you completely jello. And the blessing that I have had is that my mother, <laughs> she just didn't give a rip what anybody thought. <laughs> she gonna do what she thought was right. And she done did it. And so I have a lot of that in me that it's not that she was self-willed, although she and I both are self-willed, but it was that she knew, you could just see it in there, she knew that she was accountable to God. Tim went on to tell a little story. Something he described as a kairos in his life, a critical moment. When Joseph was born, Joseph was a very, he was a happy baby, but when you put him to bed, he was always angry, just always. I remember putting him down one night he cried 
And normally I would stay out of it because I didn't have a lot of patience with children crying. And that was a conflict between Mary Lee and me. Mary Lee thought that you should just take the guilt on yourself and figure out what you were guilty of. I mean, you have to establish there's no rash. They don't have a dirty diaper, you know, that, Mm -hmm. you know, you go through the checklist. But the fact is children are sinners. Many, many times, even little babies will just simply try to imprint misery on your marriage and your home. And so this particular time, I was just unwilling to please my wife. I wanted Joseph to stop. And he's in there just howling. You know, you'd think somebody was pulling his fingernails off one by one, you know. And there was no problem. It wasn't that he was overly tired because dad took everybody out on a picnic and missed the naps. It was, you know, it was just Joseph was cantankerous. And we were desperate. So I called my mother out in Illinois. We were in Massachusetts. And I said, Mud, that was our pet name for her. Everybody called her Mud in our family. I said, Mud, I don't, I, I don't know what to do. It's driving us bonkers. She said, did you, did you check on this? Yup, checked it. Did you check on this? Yup, checked on Did you check on that? Yup, checked on that. Did you check? She said, well, then go in and hold his head down on the mattress until he goes to sleep. And she said it just like that. <laughs> and I remember saying to her, are you serious? And she said, yeah, why not? Well, that was so liberating, so freeing, you know, <laughs> that it was like my mother agreed. That boy needed to be quiet. <laughs> you know, That's what I felt. <laughs> I told Mary Lee what my mother had said first, and that was sort of the gold standard for Mary Lee. She was willing to have it happen. If my mother had said that's what should happen. But I went in that room. And it's dark, and there he is standing up in his crib with his hands on the railing, screaming bloody murder. And I said, Joseph, night, night, you go to sleep. Well, you have to always teach your kids through your tone of voice and how you enunciate and stuff. So he knew he was being bad. And of course, immediately sort of starts to sort of sit down. Well, I went over, I picked him up and I set him down on the mattress, completely controlled. None of this was in any way abusive. And I put him stomach down. Immediately when I put him down, he arched his neck up and started screaming at me with his head looking at me, but his body down. So then I took my hand on the back of his head, pushed his head down on the mattress, and I said, no, Joseph, night, night. Well, then he arched his butt. So I took my other hand and I pushed it down on his butt and shoved his butt down on the mattress. Then he was angry, (laughs) right? And I mean to tell you, it went on for 15 minutes. There was a battle of wills there. Look, you can't get in a battle of wills with kids and then lose. Now, I know that there are many, many people who have killed their children in that battle. And they use the excuse that, well, I needed my will to win. I needed to break his will. I wasn't trying to break my son's will. I was trying to have my will win. And it was a desperate battle because he was bound and determined that he would win that battle. And so if I ever started to let up on his butt, that butt was arched. If I let up on the head, then the neck was arched. If I had the head and the neck, the back was arched. The screaming went on and on. I'd push down on him and he would scream all the harder and his whole body would go rigid. Everything in him was livid, furious and angry at me, his father. Finally, after about 15 minutes of that, and if you don't know how long 15 minutes is, you just try to hold your firstborn son down like that on a mattress for 15 minutes. Finally, about 15 minutes, he began to give in. His hysterics began to subside. I slowly began to lighten up on my hand on his head and his bottom. 
Then he began to fall asleep, and then he was asleep. So quietly, I backed out of the room to get to the door, to shut the door, to let my heart start beating normally. Uh, As soon as I got to the door, all of a sudden, Joseph remembered he was angry, and he started howling again. (laughs) I went back, no, Joseph, night, night, Joseph, no, Joseph, night, night, Joseph, holding him down. That time, it was only about five or six minutes. And that time, he gave up for good. Now, there are a lot of people who would say that that's child abuse. He had no bruises on him. I hope his will was bruised. I hope he learned a little bit more that God is to be obeyed. Not that I'm God, but that, you know, little kids like that begin to learn that God is our Father, mm-hmm. and that he is to be feared and obeyed as well as loved. And I, and I tell this story because the work was awful. I don't know how many people have a mother who's wise and has enough faith in God to tell their son to do that to their grandchild. And then I want to tell you this. I want to tell you that from that point on, and I can tell this story again and again with different episodes in child rearing, from that point on, there was never one single night that we had any problem at all with Joseph going to bed and not crying. None. That was it. It was over. From then on, if Joseph so much as made a hiccup in in his bed after he'd been put down, I would just walk over towards his bedroom door and say, no, Joseph, night, night. And immediately, if I was looking through the crack in the door, his head would immediately flop down on the mattress and he would not move a muscle. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that the whole issue of conflict with your wife and finding the the sweet point of uh, of harmony between what the father knows and what the mother knows let alone mm-hmm. what the father approves of and what the mother approves of you must have faith that god has made you the authority in that child's life as your as the father and you must be jealous of your authority over your children against your wife Now, I know everybody's going to have a fit about that because they're going to say, well, hasn't God given her to you as as your helper? And I'm saying, yeah, 99.999% of the time in the discipline of the children and their training, she's your helper. But for heaven's sakes, can we focus on that 0.1% of the times when she's not, which is so intense that you are in danger of living the other 99.9% of the time in fear of that 0.1% of the time. And so you're a lousy dad all the time. Let's just say somebody isn't sure what a practical way of, they they know they have strong-willed young children, they know they're not sure their wife's going to be supportive, they want to just know what the first step is. How do they they start? (laughs) Oh, well, first of all, you have to realize that, and I never stop saying that to young couples here in the church, everywhere I talk, listen, your children are going to be gone from your home before you can say Jack Robinson. It is one heartbeat before your children will have grown up and gotten married and have children of their own. You have no idea how quickly this is going to pass. And I know that you don't think it's passing very quickly, but it is. And you won't realize how quickly it passes. And so you better have it in your mind that by the time they leave your home, you will have disciplined and loved and taught them what they need in order to raise your grandchildren, okay? That's it. You say you want techniques, that's my first technique. 
fix it in your mind that this is going to be over very quickly and you better get yourself to work. Now, at this point, the guy, you know, that you're representing is going to say to me, well, yeah, 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 I get it. I get it. And I say, uh, no, you, you actually don't <laughs> get yourself to work. Well, yeah, I know. But what, what is the work I'm supposed to do? Well, first of all, you better make sure that you get yourself to work because it's going to be over quickly. And I tell couples, especially young mothers that have a lot of kids, I say, you know, no matter how much it seems that this road never ends, guess what? The vast majority of your life, you are going to live without any children in your home. And so this is a very short period of time. It's very intense, but it's very short. <laughs> time is flying. That's my first practical word of advice, okay? <laughs> All right, now let's say that, you know, even though they have a hard head, that's sunk in, okay? <laughs> so my next comment is fix in your brain the fact that God is the judge of your work, not your child and not your wife, not your parents. You will answer to God for your stewardship of your children. So get to work and do it in the eyes of God, okay? All right? Mm -hmm. And then I'd say that about five times. And then they'd say, I know, I know, I know, I know, but would you please tell me exactly what I'm supposed to do? You know, give me some practical help. And i say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't understand your question. You want practical <laughs> help? Get your butt to work and do it in the face of God. You see, our problems really aren't knowing the details. The problem is almost never the technique. The problem is the will. And people are not doing their work properly in raising children because they don't fear God. And because they're trying for the approval of their wives and their in-laws, and, and you're just never going to do a good job. They're, they're just trying to avoid ever having their children taken away from them by Child Protective Services. If we live our lives trying to think whether or not Child Protective Services would, would approve of this, we're guaranteed to do the very opposite of anything we should ever do right. Let's say that you're getting to work and you're doing it in the fear of God and faith. And let's say your wife doesn't approve of being firm, okay? The third thing I'd say is you really do have to look at your wife as the threat to your children and their souls that she is at that point. You can't take it personally. She'll make it personal, <laughs> you know, but you can't take it personally. You have to have in your mind what your curriculum for that child at this time is. I don't know, but I thought about it again today because this very daughter is now having trouble with her daughter and is at the end of her wits. And this is our daughter, Michael. She was probably two and a half, three. She was in her high chair. Every night, Mary Lee would let her food get cold as she fed Michael. Michael was entirely capable of feeding herself. And so one night, all of a sudden, you know, dad is sort of late to the game a lot of the time. But this night, I realized that this is what I'd been seeing night after night. And all of a sudden, it dawned on me that, that this actually didn't have to happen. And so I looked at Michael, and Michael was the prettiest, sweetest, most cheerful, most obedient, most respectful, most loving child that any man has ever had the privilege of, of raising, okay? That's who Michael was. And I looked at Michael, and I realized she was a predator against my wife, and I wasn't going to have it. I yeah. just wasn't going to have it. I looked at my wife, and I said, lover, from now on, you may never feed Michael again. Now, why did I do that? Well, because I knew that the real problem with teaching Michael to eat was not Michael, but, but Mary Lee. 
So having declared ex cathedra, and if you think that I made that kind of statement to my wife very often, no, no, no. And I'm sure Mary Lee gave me a sort of rolling the eyes kind of and put the spoon down. It's like she was not happy with that at all because, of course, to her it seemed arbitrary, and actually it was entirely arbitrary. But most men are. Most men are an arbitrary inconvenience to their wives. <clears throat> so then I looked at Michael and I said, Michael, you pick up your spoon and you eat. Now, do you understand me? Yes, daddy. Smile, flouncing the hair, you know, picks up the spoon, slowly takes a bite, then begins to look at the birds and to look at the walls and to look at everybody else and only one bite. I said, Michael, did you hear me? I told you, pick up your spoon and eat. So yes, daddy. She picks up her spoon, takes another bite, sets it down. Michael, I told you, pick up your spoon, eat, and keep eating. Yes, daddy! She picks it up, takes another bite, puts it in her mouth, sets it down. You're sitting there thinking, uh, well, okay, I told Mary Lee, this is over, so it does have to be over. I can't be jumping back and forth across the Rubicon. And so I look at her and I say, Michael, listen very carefully to daddy. I have told you you are to eat and you're not eating. Pick up your spoon and eat and keep eating. If you don't, I will spank you. Now, that's a rule and discipline of children. You need to make it very clear that you're not going to count to 10. You're not going to count to three. Now, some people might say, well, you just did count to three because it took three times before you said she was going to get spanked. I'm saying, yeah, I had to acclimate her to the fact, this new reality of her life, that she was now going to eat, mm -hmm. you know? And so at this point, she picked it up and probably took two bites and would look at me, you know, because she knows something's going on right and sure enough she puts it down she sits there i go michael she picks it up bite puts it down now so much of what we say about child rearing is so obvious that you feel like an idiot saying it but here's the deal don't ever threaten something that you're not going to follow through on ever 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 don't ever make a threat that you're not going to follow through on and so i got up i went over i picked up michael i said michael uh i told you, you well then she's sniffling she knows what's coming I take her back in the bedroom, close the door, away from the family, close the door, sit down immediately, spank her. And then I said, I love you, sweetie. Those were always the tenderest times in, in caring for our kids was after spanking. Okay? So we cuddle, no prayer, no confession of sin, no this, that, or the other thing. The point of it was to hurt her so that she would obey me. Now, I'm not against praying, but for heaven's sakes, oh, please, guilt trips are just abominable. So undignified, so unhelpful. So I spank her, cuddle her. We go back out. She's happy. Put her back in the high chair and she doesn't eat again. And I look at her and I'm now I have all the self-doubt because Mary Lee and the other kids were entirely willing for me to give her a spanking. I mean, nobody was happy about it, but it was one spanking, right? But now they know that I'm not done. Well, it gets even more tense in me because here I have a blonde, cute as a button, happy, happy as a lark, sweet as sweet can be, telling me yes when she's doing no. Yes, daddy! And then she doesn't follow through. And so at that point, I have this debate in my brain, and the debate goes like this. Tim, can a child be saying yes and doing no? Maybe she doesn't remember. Maybe she's like mentally handicapped, but Michael wasn't mentally handicapped. You know, and you go through all these self-doubt. Maybe you don't have a sense of proportion right now, actually, Tim, you know. And then it just came to me, no, I'm her father. I told her to eat. She must eat. You know, I give her another warning. Michael, do you realize I just spanked you? I will do it again. Yes, daddy. 
you know, she may have taken two bites. Then I take her back in the bedroom. And this time I spank her twice as hard. Now I know I just got done saying, don't ever vary the intensity of your spanking, except sometimes when you should vary the intensity of your spanking. <laughs> and I did spank her harder that second time because I thought, well, I must not have spanked her hard enough, you know? <laughs> so we cuddle again, go back out. And I see something. I see my wife take her left eyebrow or right eyebrow or right nostril or left lip or something. And she done something to my dining room table that had caused the other two children at that table to be in mutiny. And there was a hostility in that room that you could cut with a knife. And I realized that I'm in deep doo-doo. Because <laughs> on the one hand, I'm trying to discipline my daughter. And I am barely, barely, barely able to bear it myself. I know I can't bear it if I have my wife's disapproval. And I know I'm going to give in. And so you know what I did? I only did this once in my life. I told Mary Lee, I said, Mary Lee, you take your children out of this house right now and do not come back in until I tell you to. Well, we lived in this tiny little manse right next to the church, and we had a driveway and a stoop next to it. And so they went out. It was a warm day, and they stood out there, and I spanked Michael a third time, and then a fourth time, and then a fifth time. I didn't vary the intensity the third, fourth, or fifth time. I was completely controlled. I wasn't a wild-eyed crazy man. It killed me to do it. But I know that even if it looked like submission and obedience and, and godliness and cheerfulness and beauty and, and charmingness and cuteness and everything, what it was was rebellion. And after the fifth time, all of a sudden, she picked up her spoon and she began to eat and she didn't stop, okay? Now, at that point, I went out of the house and there's a little huddle of three individuals, my wife, my daughter, Heather, and my son, Joseph. And they are looking fully ashamed of themselves. And I go up to my wife and put my arm around her and I look down at the kids and I say, and I'm crying. I say, if I tell you that your sister and lover, your daughter is now in there eating, do you think it was worth it for me to have to spank her like that? And all three of them look at me and they go, yes. And I say, then would you please not punish me for the difficult things I have to do? Would you please help me? Please help me. And I was just crying. I said, I don't want to do it. It had to be done. Would you please help me? And then, with the children listening, I turned to my wife. I said, lover, you led a mutiny of your children in there. You rebelled against me, and you led them to join you in your rebellion. You are not helpful. I don't ever want you to do that again. love our wives. We love our children. We want their approval. We want them to love us when they grow up. We want them to be our friends. But if you spend your life trying to get your children or your wife's approval, you will never do your job properly. Never. Never. And it's not because they're evil. It's because leadership is lonely. And I'm not saying that to men that would lock their children in a closet naked and not feed them. That's the modern morbid habit of sacrificing the normal on the altar of the abnormal. I cannot tell these sorts of stories and share my pain if I have to protect myself from twisted people who are going to accuse me of being an abuser of my children. And, you know, people listening, they don't know my kids. You know them. Mm -hmm. They don't know my grandchildren. You know them. 
And I can promise people that my grandchildren, please do not understand this as bragging, they adore me. And so do my children. And it's not because they think I don't sin, for heaven's sakes. They know my sins inside and out. But here's the idea. Just like Calvin says about pastors that God could have sent angels to preach to us, God could have sent angels to be dads. But he chose to use sinful men as fathers because it humbles us to have to be under the headship of a sinner like us. So a story and the two points, which are, number one, it's going to be over soon, and you better get yourself to work. And number two, you better work for God. And then number three, you better not live for the approval of your children and your wife, because it'll destroy your teaching, your discipline. And number two, they will never give you their approval if you want it. Ha! <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> Produced and executive produced by Nathan Alverson and Jacob Menzel. You can find more great content at warhornmedia.com or find us on social media under at warhornmedia. Next up, education. Hey, everybody. If you enjoyed today's program, be sure to go to patreon.com forward slash out of our minds, where you can sign up to support out of our minds, which is the home for the writing of Tim Bailey and many others on our very own warhornmedia.com. It's also the home of this very podcast. Also, be sure to listen to me and Jake's other podcast, Sound of Sanity. Each week, Jake, myself, our beloved engineer, Ben, and the kooky denizens of Sanityville take you on a kaleidoscopic comedic journey through sex, family, church, culture, and pop culture. There's skits, songs, debates, and some good old-fashioned preaching all designed to remind you that you, Christian, are the sane one. It's them that are crazy. It's a show that's come a long way from its humble beginnings. I really love it. Check it out. It drops every Tuesday on warhornmedia.com or wherever you get your podcasts.